what difference is that going to make? Well, what am I going to achieve? And you can say at a level it's not going to make any difference at all, but I promise you it will make a difference. People will see you. Why is it important to be activists? Why should we raise our voices before COP28? How can we live in a more climate-friendly way? Does it make sense to talk about the climate crisis now, while so many horrors are happening around the world? Locale. Local. Shock. Local. Cambiamento. Tavir. Gergelecter. Chakula Ijaya. Food. Change. Slow Food, the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Slow Food, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the beauty and complexity of good, clean and fair food systems. I'm Valentina Gritti, your host and a Slow Food Youth Network activist. On this podcast, we meet change makers around the world who are working towards a more sustainable food system and promote a slow lifestyle. Today my voice is not the best because I'm a bit sick, as you can hear, but I really wanted to share this episode with you now because FlashCop is going to be this Saturday, November 25th. You're going to learn about FlashCop later in this podcast. So this episode can be an extra tool for those of you who are already planning to join the campaign, but it's also going to be useful in general for those of you who are interested in this year's COP, the Conference of the Parties, which will soon take place in Dubai. So in this episode, I will have a conversation with Elena Lucchiari, the Flash Cop campaign manager at Slow Food Youth Network. Elena is a young Italian activist with a background in international development studies. The second guest of today is Shane Holland, executive chairman of Slow Food in the UK. Shane is a food writer, a university lecturer. He has a broad knowledge on the Conference of the Parties and he was also actively involved in COP26 in Glasgow. And please stick until the end, because in the last part of the podcast, we collected a few inputs from our community with practical tips on how to live in a more climate-friendly way. So now let's get started with Elena Lucchiari. Thank you so much, Elena, for being here on Stuff of the Podcast. Thank you for having me. So... Um, The episode of today is all dedicated to COP28 and especially our campaign of Flash COP. And since you are the campaign coordinator, it's amazing that you are here <laughs> to talk to us about the campaign <laughs> in specific. Um, but before um, talking about the campaign, I wanted to ask you if you could give us a general introduction about COP and in particular about this COP? Like, why is it so special and why are we doing this campaign for this COP? Yeah, sure. So to uh, have a context, uh, the COP is a conference of the parties, which is a series of United Nations climate change uh, conferences that have been running since 1995. And these are, were made to provide a sort of framework for climate change negotiations. Um, however, uh, these climate conferences have not been as smooth sailing as people wish it to be due to the rules and sponsor that favored it by the Austin country. So this year's COP, uh, which is taking place from uh, November 30 to December 12th, has been considered to be even more controversial. This is because COP28 will be hosted by the United Arab Emirates and Dr. Sultan Al-Jaber is the CEO of the uh, national oil company called Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. 
and it will be the conference president. So it's quite clear how the contradiction lies in the fact that uh, in this case, fossil fuel companies are often seen as the main contributors to climate change rather than a solution. So there might be a conflict of interest for this conference. Moreover, the uh, UAE plans to expand its oil and gas production with a 150 million investment while also committing to reaching net zero carbon emissions. So civil society is quite worried that UAE's oil and gas interest may affect the conference agenda. And this might slow down the necessary climate actions that are needed to achieve uh, change. And we all wonder, like, uh, how can someone leading an oil company also lead uh, a climate change conference? So... Um, we find this controversial, and that's why we decided to, to campaign for it with Flashcop. And so, Elena, can you tell us something more about it? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, Flashcop, it's because it's a very short version of a COP conference. So, uh, what we want to do with Flashcop is to kind of make this climate conversation more accessible to everyone. So we believe that the um, climate crisis demands a more inclusive and accessible approach. So FlashCop, it's not just an event, it's like a global conversation. And we want to invite more people to have this conversation. So with FlashCop in uh, one day, which is the 25th of November, so in the run-up to COP28, we will set climate tables in cities and rural areas all around the world. These tables are envisioned as interactive spaces, um, hubs, where we can engage with bypassers. We can educate them about the climate crisis and its impact on our food system and actively uh, involve them in efforts to combat it. So we are looking for a conversation that can bring about more solutions than challenges. We want to empower people uh, to make their own climate commitments. And most importantly, at these climate tables, we want to advocate for change with local policymakers. So uh, we want to hold government representatives accountable for their role in this crucial battle. And we want to invite people to advocate for change with those who matter in a way. So um, yeah, I truly believe FlashCop is a great chance to get active for the climate and to kind of bring up an impact both uh, at the individual and at the political level. And it's very easy to organize. All you need is a table or a booth or a bench, some eager volunteers and some knowledge about the climate crisis. So in this case, we also got you covered because we, we planned a series of capacity building sessions with webinars with great guests to help us get ready for Flash Cup Day. So we cover topics like COP conferences, what are they, the relationship within the climate crisis and the food system, how to have the climate conversations and how to engage with bypassers. And uh, all these sessions are being recorded and uh, they are already available on our campaign's Google Drive and soon uh, on YouTube as well. That's, that's it. It's all about spreading awareness one conversation at a time. Mm -hmm. And so if uh, someone decides to organize a, a climate table, they register for the campaign? 
right? And then yeah. they can just like put a table in the city where they live. Exactly. So you, yeah, first of all, you register um, and for anything you reach out to, to me and uh, you set your tables, uh, ideally in a location where you can engage with more people and maybe at these tables you can have visuals that uh, we also provided on the drive. We have some new flash cop visuals which are looking great and uh, yeah, maybe have a bowl of um, cards with conversation starters about the climate then maybe this can be a way to break the eyes and uh, the, the eyes and um, get people talking about climate uh, related issues um, also maybe consider offering or displaying food related to to the region to your context and um, then maybe start a conversation from that for example we have participants from Mexico they are going to showcase locally sourced organic chocolate from a local chocolateria, which not only engages with people's taste bud, but also sparks discussions about the impact of the conventional cocoa production on the environment. Or another example, in Brazil, uh, people are inviting other um, activists, farmers, Riverside dwellers and civil society at these tables, and they're going to have a conversation with all of them in addition to yeah, raise awareness. So these are just a few examples and ideas, and but on the Google Drive you can find more information and especially the toolkit to make these to have these climate tables happening in your city. And um, we have now more than 40 countries joining from all over the world, and the number is constantly growing. So through these resources, webinars, uh, we, can, we, we are trying to support, um, however we can, uh, that, and make FlashCop a uh, success. I, I also have another question, like for our listeners, for example, that maybe don't have so much time now to organize like a climate table um, or maybe like they're traveling a lot they're not supported by a local community is there a way that someone can join as an individual yeah for sure someone can join as an individual we also have um, online campaigns we're organizing to have an online day as well uh, with uh, Instagram lives. Uh, and uh, there's also going to be one of our participants that is planning an online conference with, uh, with guests, with speakers, with uh, professors. So it's all about having a conversation. So as an individual, you can join this online conversation, but you can also simply talk about it with your friends at a dinner. You can plan a movie screening and um, start from there, maybe show a documentary. There are like tons of ways you can um, organize this by yourself. And that's one hour, like the, the core of Plushcope is that it's supposed to be easy and accessible. So we really invite you to get creative and um, make FlashCop happen. Amazing. And so if you are organizing something, then send an email to Elena with a description of what you are thinking um, to organize for FlashCop. Could you repeat your email, Elena? 
Yes, it's Elena at Spain.org. Perfect. So if you have any questions, doubts, or yeah, if you want to share your story, please reach out to Elena. And um, thank you so much, Elena, for all this information. And uh, good luck with the whole campaign. Thank you and reach out. Now let's move to our second guest, Shane Holland, Executive Chairman of Slow Food in the UK. Yeah, first of all, welcome Shane to Slow Food the Podcast. It's a honor to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to, to be with you. So thank you. You have been an activist for many years. Uh, you have been an activist when you were younger. You are an activist also right now, in maybe in a slightly different way. So we would like to ask you, how are you looking at COP28? Um, and how can you look at it like with the eyes of a young activist? That's a, that's a really great question. And um, we could probably speak all day on that. But I know we've only got a small amount of time. Um, what do I feel about COP28? I, I have hope. I think we almost always must have hope. Um, but I think it's going to be a very interesting COP. It's being held in Dubai. Um, it's being held in a country where oil and gas is at its fore. Um, I think we also need to think about how COPs work and how they're structured. Um, and every five years, um, there is a particularly strong um, way of having additional influence. So that would be COP26 and COP31. And the intervening years, there's less overall change. So there is something called um, the ratchet, which every five years when the progress on where we are with carbon in the world is checked and those um, those carbon budgets and, and targets are updated or not. So we're, we're not in one of those years this year. Um, but that said, that doesn't mean this COP isn't really, really important. It's incredibly important. Um, we will see, you know, nation leaders from across the world attending. We will see um, significant individuals across the world attending. And it's really, really important that we keep the pressure up on these intervening years to say that carbon matters, that climate matters, that the rights of indigenous people and women and those of the global south, who they're the people who are particularly affected by climate change, that we stand with them and we're thinking of them and that we're going to be there with them. Um, as to what we should be doing at COP, we need to be speaking about it. We need to talk about it. I think when COP26 happened globally, COP26 was in the news very much because it was one of those five-year um, pieces whereby we were looking to see if we were going to have some very significant changes. And sadly, um, COP28 isn't in the news as much. We also have a lot of other things going on in the world. And it's, and it's very, very easy to say when we live in utterly tragic times, and we do live in tragic times, there are, there are global tragedies happening around the world. It is easy to say, well, climate change is something we can look at tomorrow. Um, carbon is something that we can do tomorrow. We, can, we need to fix things happening in other parts of the world where there's the most horrendous conflict on both sides. Um, but I would say we do need to do that, but we must never, ever take the eye off, off carbon. Thousands of people die every single day because of the effects of climate change. Um, tens of thousands, arguably, and that is going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and you very kindly said that I've been an activist for many years, and that is the case. When I started out, maybe when, when you could say that I was a youth, and I've not been a youth for a while, um, when I was a youth, I thought I was campaigning for 
my children and their children. And in my lifetime, this, the scientist predictions, which we thought were going to happen in 50, 60, 70 years time, have already happened in my own lifetime. And, and I'm in my 40s. What we feel is going to happen almost is on almost on fast forward. It's like watching a video or watching a something streaming and then we hit the forward button and we're seeing this thing happen in in you know it's totally sped up so we must not forget what's happening at cop 28 mm -hmm. we must keep up that pressure yeah thank you so much shane actually thanks also for mentioning you know that now we're in a period of a lot of different crises and it's difficult to talk about climate change actually we Uh, as like sort of food youth network now that we're working a lot on this campaign we have asked ourselves like how can we still talk about <laughs> climate change and the cop and our campaign while there are so many horrible things going on but actually you, you gave us an answer it's it's so important because without in any way downplaying the the catastrophes and they are catastrophes that are, that are playing out across the world right now that in two, three, five, ten years' time, there'll be catastrophes playing out as well. And that is in no way diminishing the absolute horrors which are happening at the moment. They, we absolutely, as a world, need to come together to find solutions to to the humanitarian crisis which are unfolding and the, the various aspects and the nuances, and this is so complicated. But also we are having climate catastrophes unfolding with, with, with every day. And the difference, perhaps, with climate catastrophes is that they are now becoming normal, so they are becoming less news. So we see famine, we see heat waves, we see tens of thousands of, if we wish to bring it very close to home and very European century, we see tens of thousands of Europeans dying as excess deaths, and it becomes normal. What was abnormal is normal. Um, and then that is in no way downplaying what is happening elsewhere in the world. But if we look at climate change um, and the effects it is having on lives across the world, it, it, it is it's unspeakable what is happening. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Ed Chain, what about your role now at um, Slow Food UK? And I, how can you influence COP, like not as young activists, as you mentioned before, but like within, for example, the movement uh, of slow food, or maybe you can give us an example for the previous COP, which was held in, in Glasgow, and you really were um, actively involved also in, the, in that conference of the party. So could you give us an example of how it works now for you? Yes, I think that's really a really great question. I think one of the great things about Slow Food is we are a very grassroots organisation. So I always say that we must believe that we can change the world. And if we believe that we can change the world, then maybe we will. Maybe we won't, but maybe we will. And I believe that we could change the world a little bit. And um, I've been working on climate um, issues for, for the last 20 years. And when um, COP came to Glasgow, I thought it was incredibly important that we spoke about these issues. And it is very easy for people to sometimes say, why is Slow Food talking about climate? Why isn't it talking about taste? Why isn't it talking about farm incomes? Why isn't it talking about any other kind of aspect of the food system? And again, I would point back and say that every single thing that Slow Food does 
in some way is being affected by climate change. So therefore, climate change must run through that. So I, I had an idea that we should, one, have a declaration at the COP because um, COP26 was one of these five-year ratchets um, whereby an, a number of the pieces of legislation and the, the goal setting could have potentially changed. And we created something called the Slow Food Climate um, Declaration, which was a, a, a set of principles that we wanted to declare that actually climate change affected people in the global south more, that it affected indigenous people more. So we put that together um, and we called on world leaders to take action and take action now on these things. Um, and we presented that to the cabinet office. Um, the UK at the time was was chairing COP, the the. COP rotation goes to a different different um, country each time. And we had real influence. Um, I spoke at COP and a number of other people from Slow Food, including Sfin, um, attended COP. Um, and that means that we are there with opinion formers and people who actually make those decisions. And it's important for a number of reasons. Even if they don't actually take action today, they know that we're asking questions. They know that we are going to hold them to account. Because the one way to guarantee that there is no change anywhere is if people feel that actually no one cares. And I think we need to say that we do care. We care absolutely what's going on and we will hold people to account and we will keep asking the question of why and when and what is someone going to do about it. And when people say to us, what are you doing about it? We must be able to say we are doing things. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to do enormous things. There are lots of things which only elected officials can do because they ultimately set laws. But the key thing about elected officials um, where we are in democracies is that they are elected. Um, and they are elected by you, they are elected by me, they are elected by my neighbour, they are elected by your neighbour. Um, and it's sometimes easy to forget that. So we must be loud, we must be visible and we must say this is important and we must never ever come away from that. Um, and we did actually help, you know, here in the UK to ensure that there was a huge visibility from, from women, from indigenous people. And I'm very proud to say that actually the British government made that a priority and made sure that women and people of colour, people who were from indigenous communities, had a real voice at COP. And actually, arguably, there was never a COP so far which had such a voice. Now, I would say they still didn't go far enough. However, it was the COP when actually on the main stage we actually had people from those communities really speaking out rather than old white men, and I count myself as a middle-aged white man. Um, but COP is very often... Um, you know, dominated by a particular voice. And I'm represented by that voice, though they do not represent my views. The most important thing that we do is to take action. I always say that being an activist can sometimes feel rather lonely. It's talking about voting again. It's, it's a little bit like voting. When I cast my vote for, for the party that I wish to see in power, my vote actually makes no difference at all. One vote is not going to change the outcome at all. But as I said, you know, my neighbour has a vote, you have a vote, your, your neighbour's neighbour has a vote, and collectively we choose who's in power. So it's very, very easy to say that actually, why bother? What, what's my voice? If I'm going to stand in the street or I'm going to stand in the town square and I'm going to have my placard and I'm going to do this spin action, which I encourage all of you to do, um, what difference is that going to make? Well, what am I going to achieve? 
And you can say at a level it's not going to make any difference at all, but I promise you it will make a difference. People will see you. Um, maybe your local newspaper will see you. Encourage the local newspaper to come along. Encourage them to take a picture of you. Um, and that's what we do. And a lot of activism is almost, I would say, shouting in a vacuum. No one can hear you, but I can promise you people do see you. And eventually what happens is people hear. And then when they hear our voices, our voices get louder and they get louder and they get louder. And eventually change comes from that. And we see that throughout history. We see that with everything from the vote, from women to the ending of slavery and all the other horrors that we've seen in the, in the world, that people, good people have dared to stand up and say this is not how we should be this is not what humanity is about humanity is better than that and that we owe each other something better and that is how we change the world so thinking back you know to the suffragette movement here you know those initial women did uh, did the first woman did she achieve anything not on her own no she didn't did the second one no she didn't at all but of the voices of all those women and the voices dare i say of the men who supported those women just like we need in climate change the global south is particularly affected but the global north must speak out as well when we all speak together then eventually we get the world that we all deserve and the world that we all need and the world that we must have in the final part of this podcast i have collected a few inputs from our community with practical tips on how to live in a more climate friendly way The first tip comes from Giorgio Brizio, a Fridays for Future activist in Italy, who tells us how we can be climate activists and why we should. I'm a climate activist since uh, 2019, when, uh, thanks to an Instagram story, I joined Fridays for Future when it was starting. And uh, before that period, I already um, knew uh, the consequences of climate change, uh, but I was thinking at their uh, impact, especially on, on animals, on uh, polar bears, on uh, bees, on koalas, and uh, uh, those things that uh, media have shown us. Um, and instead, uh, I hadn't realized the consequences that uh, it uh, deeply has on people, especially uh, poorer people in poorer countries who are uh, less responsible of this uh, crisis. Um, well, uh, I'm not sure that everyone should be uh, an activist. I think that, uh, by the way, it is important. And uh, the beautiful thing is that there is no correct way of being an activist. Um, you can uh, find something you like that can also uh, not uh, be linked with uh, climate. It can be linked to um, fashion. It can be linked to sport or to any other topic. Uh, something uh, we find important and uh, to try to, uh, let's say, move uh, ourselves uh, and also other people on that issue uh, to, to change uh, the status quo. And, uh, um, well, yes, uh, I, I know it's not beautiful to say, but I don't do activism because I find it correct, but I uh, do activism beca because it makes me... Uh, Uh, happy and it makes me uh, know people and places and cultures uh, from all over Italy and all over world, the world and, uh, and it's amazing. How can we change policies? As a Slow Food Youth Network activist, Maria Rose, director of Sfin Netherlands, answers this question for us. Hey, this is Maria from the Sfin Netherlands. I'm so glad to be sharing a little bit about how we try to change policies here in the Netherlands as SWIN activists. And yeah, 
first I want to start with that I don't really think that we call ourselves activists. We really try to activate people and activate policies to do the right thing. And as the Netherlands, in the beginning, we really tried to <laughs> empower young people to yeah, to make change in their positions and then and indirectly change policies to really give them good examples, to provide them with knowledge, to really show them how complex the food system is, but also where pain points now may lie. Um, and at the same time, in the Netherlands, we also try to join forces with other youth organizations. So we have this coalition, it's called in the Netherlands Groenpact, a uh, youth platform. Um, and in there, we join forces with five other youth organizations. And in there, we um, really try to uh, write down visions um, about agriculture, about food. And um, together, we uh, provide um, those documents to the Minister of Agriculture in the Netherlands and uh, at the Minister Ministry of Agriculture, we try to spread that word. The last tip is all about following a more climate-friendly diet. Samantha Fabris from Brazil gives us her advice. Hey, my name is Samantha. I am part of Slow Food Brazil and I'm also part of the steering committee of the Slow Food Youth Network. Well, talking about eating in a climate-friendly way, it's not easy <laughs> because the problem is bigger than us and sometimes we feel like we, we cannot do many things about it. But it's always important to remember that our actions are also part of the whole system. So changing some actions are important to influence other people, bring aware. And of course, it's not the solution, but it's part of it. So I see as um, some steps and some options to eat in a more climate-friendly way. It's uh, mostly eating local, so valorizing our traditions and our culture and um, knowing uh, people and agricultures that are related to our land, to our territory and valorize the food produced by them. Also, trying new things for me is a key to to this, this question because when we try new things, uh, we get to know better uh, other foods, other type of uh, eating, <laughs> and we valorize more uh, what's available for us. Um, there is one phrase that I think it's really important, which is unpack less and peel more. And I think uh, it's also a way to um, be also more healthy and more climate friendly. So the less you eat uh, packed things and industrialized things and the more you eat uh, natural food, especially if you are able in uh in your locality, you have the opportunity to eat organic or agroecological better, but I know that's not for everyone. And um, for least, I really think cooking is a good way to improve our relationship with food and therefore to improve our relationship with the planet, because I really believe that when you cook, you get more close to the food that you're eating and the tendency is to eat healthier um, 
and uh, to eat the things that make more sense for you. And that relates with the first thing that I said, which is eating local, because uh, if you start to cook more, you will definitely have more the willing to buy from uh, local um, <clears throat> producers and to valorize local ingredients. And uh, maybe there are some good tips for you to <laughs> try to eat in a more climate-friendly way, but also to be more healthy and um, to make these connections with you, with the nature, with your traditions, with your community. Also, to eat in a climate-friendly way is to be aware of the problems and to mobilize other people, to mobilize your community uh, in ways of uh, trying to build a better future. Huge thanks to all our community supporting us and thanks also to Elena Lucchiari and to Shane Holland for the great conversations. If you like this episode, I invite you to share it with your network and please send your feedback, comments and questions in our Telegram group. I'll add the link to the podcast description. Finally, I remind you that you are still on time to join the FreshCop campaign and if you want to do so, just send an email to Elena. I'll write down the email address for you in the podcast description. This is Valentina Gritti and you have listened to Slow Food, the podcast. Ciao!